The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh, and Jax Bruce. Jax, how are you doing today? Very well, thanks, Brian. I, yeah, I'm very well. Nothing really to report today. Um, it's Thursday today as we're recording this, so looking forward to the weekend. How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm a bit demob happy actually. Going holiday at the weekend, so uh, two weeks of two weeks of downtime. Well, actually, two weeks of downtime. Two weeks of uh, only checking my email once a day, probably. But, <laughs> Um, so today we have the pleasure of talking to David Doran, Managing Director with Hacken and Patterson Management Services. David has been MD there for about over two years now, having been partner at parent company H&P for 18 years. David is also a former director of the Property Managers Association of Scotland and a fellow of the Institute of Residential Property Managers. Um, David, great to have you on. How are you doing? Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Jax. Yes, uh, doing well. It's a, a lovely blue sky November morning. Um, so yes, uh, not going on holiday like you, but certainly uh, enjoying a bit more drier and less windy uh, weather. Are you managing any golf? Uh, the occasional game, the occasional game. I, I get once a week, but I'm starting to decline that because of the weather. I'm, I'm very much a, at this age a fair weather golfer. I, you and me both, I haven't played since September. <laughs> Um, so you've been MD now for just over two years. How's that going for you and your team? Because most of that um, has probably been in uh, lockdown or certainly in COVID time. So how's it, how's it been? Uh, yes, it's probably one of the most interesting starts to a, um, a managing director career where within a, a very short period of trying to find my feet, we were, we were delved straight into the, the, the COVID pandemic, which... <sighs> to be honest, was, was very, very challenging, but also very interesting and, and very exciting from a, a learning point of view and um, allowed me to really look deeper into the uh, the running of the company. So when we started planning for uh, COVID contingencies kind of late February, um, so and, and by the time, uh, you know, we were put into lockdown in March, and all the staff went home with a good idea of what we were trying to achieve um, and how we were going to support our customers through that that period. Um, and it allowed me um, to, to come into the office while the staff were away and, and kind of run about doing a lot of the manual tasks that, that were needed to be done, um, supported by, you know, several individuals in various different areas of the business to help us there. But, you know, running around doing the mail room, you know, collecting mail, doing all these things and, and seeing, you know, the nuts and bolts of how the, the operation ran and how well it was run. And, it, you know, me speaking to me, it starts me looking at numbers and looking at how, how we can do things better. And um, and that's really helped me understand the business, you know, a great deal more. Um, it's also allowed me to engage more with our, our staff across the board, which has been great. So we've 
uh, get more into a consultation basis and speaking to staff directly and, and, and understanding how this this whole pandemic's affected them. Yeah. So so it's been good. It's been you know we've got a a good strong positive group of people in here who are all passionate about what they do. Um, uh, and I suppose my role has been trying to understand you know the wide range of difficulties, fears, problems that they've faced through this period, and and, and try to match that to what the the customers' needs and business needs have been. So it's been. It's been very interesting. <laughs> um, good, good. No, I can um, imagine. I can imagine starting and then being thrown into that is not um, is not the easiest things of doing. But but you know, I, I, people possibly put off kind of learning about their entire business, maybe, and, and but you didn't have a choice, I guess. No, no, that was that. It was uh, uh, it was good. Um, I think we've we get into a good position of having staff working remotely. Um, for for uh, that, that, that temporary period or that emergency period that they had to, um, I think we quickly identified in the industry that we work in that that creates its own difficulties, um, and we slowly worked our way back into the office. Um, you know, taking our staff with us on that that kind of journey. Mm, excellent, excellent. So that's so MD for over two years, just over two years now. 18 years with um, Hackney and Patterson. Um, so was that a role, the MD's role? Was that a role that you'd aimed for since the beginning of your career? Or was that something that kind of came about in a different way? So talk to me about that. Uh, I wouldn't say I've ever aimed in any of the roles or, or any of the, the, the jobs that I've taken to get to a specific point. Um, okay. uh, I'm a firm believer that if you, if you look at the destination before... Uh, before you get there, you're, you're kind of predetermining possibilities of not getting to a destination. Okay. Um, I, I've always been a firm believer that you just get into a role and, and get your kind of head down um, and work up to your maximum skill set. And that, that might mean you, you're successful at varying different levels depending on what that, that skill set is. Um, I don't think in, in my career of I believe I've had a particular talent. Um, I think it's just hard work. I think it's more of a an obsession. Um, I came into this business with a, an obsession to understand more about it, you know, and just drive hard and keep my head down and work. And I'm a firm believer in focusing on the product first and foremost. And that might sound strange when we don't make anything, we don't manufacture anything, we don't sell anything, but... Um, it's property factors. I think we, we we have a product, and that product is is delivering a, a factoring service. So I think that's where I started that, and, and uh, every step of the way, I simply looked at how how do we make that product better? How do we make it more efficient? Um, and I think through that, your your career develops, and you find yourself naturally progressing into the the, the role that suits your 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 skill set and, and, and where you are in, in life and as I said everyone's is, is slightly different. Okay. Okay. No that's that 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 is that is um really really interesting I say because you know there's I think lots of people start a career and go, I want to be this, you know, so um so to kind of not set your sights on that and 
to just kind of work hard at everything you do and then it takes you naturally to these sort of places, yeah. I have to say that a big thing to me is kind of leadership and um, and that sort of thing, you know. So, you know, making sure that the leaders in a business are providing that kind of value to your um, to your staff and and you know and 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 building the culture of a business that, and the values that go along with that. And I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, I don't. I, uh, leadership isn't. You can't be a leader just in title. You, you can't um, expect people to work with you, follow you learn from you um if you you come from an angle that I, I am the md so you must do this or i am your manager so you must do this i've always tried to bring people into the, the conversation uh, first and foremost and let them understand the decisions that are being made or the route that I, or, or direction that I cut the company is going in um and listen to their concerns and and, and almost either listen to their concerns and, and see the relevance of them and, and change the approach or, or, or can I make them understand through your own detailed detailed research into where you're going that, that it's the right thing for the company, it's the right thing for them. And this is and that tends to engage people in your leadership. You, you can you earn their respect by, you know, letting them understand what you're trying to do rather than just, um, you know, I go way back to my days when I used to um, open up KFCs and, and went on courses on delegation and things. And it was always, you know, the first rule of delegation is don't delegate something you wouldn't do yourself um, mm. or understand how to do it yourself. So I think that's for any leader in any area, whether it's a manager, a director or, or anything, that's first and foremost, you know, you've the respect doesn't come the minute you get the title. That's That's when the hard work really starts. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree, totally agree. So, um, it's been a challenging, obviously, couple of couple of years with with COVID and things like that. Where do you where do you see the property management? Man, ooh, I'll try that again. Where do you see the property management industry headed over the next kind of five to ten years? I mean, you're a young man, so uh, well, a lot younger than me anyway. So, uh, you know, you're going to be around for a fair amount of time in this industry. Where do you see it headed? Uh, yeah, and I always challenge that property management industry. Um, to me, it's, it's the property factoring industry, yep, okay. um, which which kind of separates it a little bit in, from what goes on in, in England and Wales, who operate in a completely different system. And it's it's a it's a regularly debated topic, uh, you know. But but we're governed by the Property Factors Act, so I, I kind of see us as property factors. Um, I've listened to a few of the podcasts. In fact, I've listened to all the podcasts you've done over the last few weeks. All, all have been great and some really interesting people and really interesting um, guys in, in similar positions to me. And the, the talk of the image of factors um, and how hard it is, um, it's a perception of, of a, a negative industry. But to me, it's not. To me, that's just uh, the same in every walk of life where the negative always shouts the loudest whereas when we drill down into the detail of, of, of people who have factors and are factored you know the vast majority of these people understand the role that they play and understand the the value that, that factoring companies bring to, to their properties so the introduction of the act I think has just solidified how well the industry is run um, you know, it's given us a framework to operate from that the vast majority of factors were always operating from. But um, 
when you look at the, the the complaints system that was put in place to, you know, as they say, you know, eke out the, the kind of rogue factors that they talked of, you know, mm-hmm. since 2012, that there's only been three factors that have met that um, uh, sanction, you know, yeah. and the, the the complaint ratio compared to other areas of, of housing is is minuscule. You know, it's below 1% of the industry. Um, so that tells me that, that what Scottish government have done have solidified and created a, a very successful industry. Um, and I think the future of property factoring can only be more important to, you know, the built environment of, of Scotland and in the management and down south of, of, of England and Wales because, you know, we, we deal with people's properties. That's, that's our, our role. We administer their, their obligations to maintain their own properties. Um, that's not always easy um, because of the, the, the ownership models in Scotland where you've, instead of down south where one person owns a building, you've got 300 people that own a building all with their own views and, and ways to do it. But th- there is a, a distinct problem where... If you read any of the, the Scottish government reports, you know the, the standard and the repairing standard of buildings across the country is in is in a terrible state. You know, add to that dangerous buildings, dilapidated buildings, cladding issues. Um, the future of our industry really relies on, on Scottish government now engaging with us as an, an industry and almost marketing us as an industry to the homeowners of Scotland so that the homeowners of Scotland can better their own properties. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think as we move forward, uh, I'm heavily involved with, with IRPM and their, their, their whole, they've developed a diploma in factoring, which is, mm-hmm. is just in the process of being tested to be launched. Um, and that's us as an industry wanting to get ahead of where we see the industry going. You know, the letting industry is already regulated in that way where there's minimum training requirements. So we as an industry are saying, Let, let's get ahead of that curve and, and get our staff onto these 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 training. And so that when that regulation comes along, we're already there and our, our customers are already benefiting from that. Um, and I think that should hopefully develop the industry more and more and allow the staff that are that are and, and the people working in this in the industry to perhaps not be subject to some of the kind of poor behaviors that they, they they're currently subject to um IRPM did a, a a recent well-being survey for property management staff predominantly down in, in England and Wales and and some of the findings were, were quite horrific in terms of what what they were subject to on a, a daily basis you know and again I I, I emphasize that's that's the majority, the minority of people. You know, that's a, the small three, four percent of of customers. It, it, it's not, you know, the, the vast majority of people who are engaged with the factors. But we need to up up up, up market the the property factoring industry. We need to show the people that, that the industry is good. It's got good people working in it that they want to help the owners. Um, that, as you said, that there's there's youthful people, and I'm glad that you said I'm, I'm at 43. I still find myself youthful, um, and trying to get away from that staid image of, of of what many people have of property factors. Um, you know, through you know, 
we've been involved with, with CPL since what 2014. Yeah, and you know through that we've developed a, a completely new culture, a completely new way of uh, speaking to customers, communicating with customers, doing things, um, and that's been brilliant. And and it's let the the long the long standing property factors who are maybe thought of as being stuck in the past, you know, enter the future. Mm-hmm. And you know there's there's lots of great, great factoring companies out there, new and old, you know, and you've got a lot of new factors coming in who, are, again, having met many of them, are, are, are good people with good businesses trying to do good things. Um, you know, And but we've all moved on. We're all moving on to that mindset of, of the world's changed, the way people want to deal with people's changed. And I think that's the future of, of, of factoring has been able to, Increase the the image and, and the support from government, from politicians, of what the the factoring industry can do for the built environment of Scotland, rather than looking at the the, the small problems that that will ultimately kick off in, in any in any industry. Yeah, no, that's that's that that's really well put, actually. And the, the stuff you've discussed there is really interesting because to me, it's like I mean, okay, this is this is business to business I'm going to talk about, but um, there's a there's a thing um, called equal. Um, business stature and it and it means that there is equal respect in a in a in a, a relationship or a negotiation whether you're the buyer or the seller and and you know a huge amount of companies these days have you know um adverts about you need to respect our staff and all that sort of thing and respect should not be something that is only given one way it should be something that is two-way in everything in life and and so you know for that i mean jacks and i were talking about that um irpm report the well-being one this morning actually um, um coincidentally and um you know and, and it, it really is astonishing some of the stuff that came out in that yeah it's frightening it's it's a shame um because our staff, other staff in this industry and other industries, and, and, and you look at retail, the government have already brought in legislation to uh, stop retail staff being abused and being, uh, that was that was brought in this year. But, you know, th- these people are good, honest people. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them in similar situations living in, in, in factored properties, but they're, they're, they're just themselves trying to, uh, create income for their own family to to better themselves to create their own careers, um, and, and no, they don't. But again, they're not alone, Brian. As you know, you read it in the news every day. Nurses, doctors, you know, bin men, anyone, all of these different people. There's abuse everywhere, um, uh-huh. and again, it is from the minority of people. Um, and as a company, as as other companies are doing, we're moving to a a point of saying, you know, enough's enough. Yeah, you know, we want to engage with the, with you in a positive way, and and if you don't want to, then we'll just end the engagement process, and and we'll deal with the, the remaining owners in that building that want to work with us, uh-huh. and, and that doesn't always work, you know, and, and relationships break down whether it's through time or differences of opinion, and, and that that's just life, and I think every factoring company, every company across many industries understand that. Um, a relationship between you and your customers is as only as good as it is at the time. Yep. You know, and and if it changes and deteriorates and they move off, that that's just life. That's what happens in life across everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we just need to find a way of encouraging customers to stay and encouraging new customers, which is which is all about self promotion. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that, I mean, there's a whole other debate we could go into there. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so we'll we'll not do that today, but maybe one for the future. Um, so, for where where to um, for you now from from here? Where to next for David Doran? Uh, kind of on the same vein. Um, I, I think is the position that H and PR and and the industry we've got a we've got a duty in our to look outside ourselves. Uh, and we've always thought that my my predecessors and and, and the others and the uh, on the board have always lived with that kind of that ethos that we've got to look beyond our company and look at the industry and, and the promotion of our industry. Um, so for me, whilst continuing to to hopefully grow a successful business and, and make it better, and, and I suppose more importantly and, and more um, present is is to change to. The, the way the world has changed and to make sure that our business is adapting and changing to do that. So that's my primary concern is, is make sure that our business uh, continues um, so that the, the 120 or so staff continue to be able to forge their own careers, that the thousands of um, staff operating and contractors that are used in our, our customers' properties continue to be in operation. Um, I think that's important, but to promote the industry and to me is a big one and, and to get involved with discussions with politicians, governments, you know, PMES, IRPM, all of these areas to try, kind of upskill, as I said, start upskill the entire industry so that we can secure a, a, that, the, the kind of long term and the longevity of not only our industry, but the, the properties that we're involved in. Um Obviously, it'd be silly not to mention, you know, climate and, and COP26. We're in the middle of the fortnight of that. You know, our offices, as you know, are around the corner from us. Um, and it's been interesting to go for walks at, at lunchtime and see the, the hustle and bustle around that area. But, you know, listening to the other guests and, and, and reduction in carbon and all of that is, 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 is great. And then I think as businesses and as people, we all need to work on our own strategies, you know, and... and but to me, it's looking at realistic timescales. Uh, you know, governments are talking about, what, the next 10 to, to 30 years to get to a position that we're, you know, um, better off in terms of our, our, of our, our carbon output. But to me, there's a, there's a, there's a more basic problem that, that we've got in terms of doing that with our, the current built environment that we've got. And, and when I talk about built environment, for people listening to this, I'm, I'm talking about blocks of flats, houses, um, the things that we're involved in, and, and to me, it's it's the infrastructure. And you touched on it um, uh, previously about ch- charging points. I, I would take it a one step back to that. You know, we look at things like the buildings, um, the, the the properties that are getting factored across the country, and and I go back to, you know. Um, the standard of dilapidation in, in these in many of these buildings where some things are not wind and water type, you know, the, the, but we're talking about putting solar panels on a roof that's got leaks in it, you know. So to me, there's a, a bigger fundamental problem that we need to solve in the immediate term uh-huh. so that in the, the kind of immediate to long-term future, we can do it. And, you know, we factor around, I think we're about 2,500 tenement buildings and... You know, if I if I look around these street, uh, the, the percentage of charging points out these building must be less than one percent. You know, even if it's anywhere near that. You know, and even if you were to say, let's say you put 
one to two charging points in Dumbarton Road, you know, at every half a mile, you know, you could have a, a hundred people wanting to use one of those charging points at any one time, you know, and, and it's how does that work? How does that allow people to go and meet their own strategy on climate, i.e. buy electric cars, if they don't have an infrastructure that they're able to to do something with it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's, it, to me, it's how do we solve that? You know, and, and I'm not quite sure. I think technological advancements will help. I think I, I'm a firm believer that in five to ten years we'll, we'll see car charging changing to something similar to we have in car park barriers or mobile phone chargers where, you know, you, you'll drive over a parking space and the, the charger will simply be under the ground and will start charging your car, yeah. you know, which, which will then allow a, a greater ability to... Um, put that infrastructure in place, almost like you're doing with the fibre lines and stuff at the moment, you know, sure. a similar yeah. a similar vein to that and that cars will, will start to have, well, most cars these days are now have got apps in, you can load apps into the car, you know, where like Ringo, you might have one where as soon as you park over it, the meter starts ticking unless you stop it, Yeah, you know, maybe that's one for you, Blind, you could maybe start another, you know, you've started a few different things, maybe that's your next one, a, a business to add into your, your portfolio where you've got apps that are going into cars for this, that that kind of purpose. Yeah. Um, but I think we're going in the right direction, but I just think there's there's a lot of work needed, you know, and it needs some serious collaboration, you know, um, to get to the point where we can actually start really with some meaning making an impact onto the climate but we really need you know i think with factoring and, and the, the properties and getting our customers on board with it there's a, there's a there is that element of putting the cart before the horse you know yeah um you wouldn't you wouldn't build a brand new passive house on the old foundations of a house you just knocked down yeah. you know <laughs> you know and, and i say you can't put a solar panel on a roof that leaks yeah you know and, and that to me is the fundamental problem to to allow us to change your built environment. Yeah, no, I, I do get it. I mean, a couple of couple of things you've picked up on. Yes, you're right. You know, if you're if you've got a, a and I don't really understand this sort of stuff in any massive degree, but if you've got a really bad EPC rating on a building, um, then you're probably going to do far more for the environment actually dealing with the um, insulation of that building rather than sticking yeah. a parking point outside. So I do get what you mean. Actually, it's funny because after I did. I did a podcast recently with someone and we were talking about electric cars and these sort of things because I think I mentioned to you that I used to have a, um, uh, a hybrid a hybrid yeah. Uh, car, yeah, that, that, um, that, I, that I sent back because it kept breaking down and obviously didn't drive for a while. Actually, um, I spend a huge amount of time, I split my time between the South Coast and, and here and one of my biggest bugbears is lane hoggers. So I think we should put an electric charging point in the middle of the of the inside lane, so that everyone drives in it, which would be a fantastic idea. Which another thing, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you're talking about driving at a car park and sitting on top of it. If it's if it's in the motorway, I don't know. That's pie in the sky stuff, probably. But um, the other thing I mentioned on a previous podcast that there's no charging points in my parking zone area in Glasgow, and actually there are now. Well, sorry, for the last six weeks there have been. Um, the beginnings of them, although I don't think they've, I think they probably, I don't, they arrived just before COP started and they've, or maybe a few weeks before that, and then they haven't actually um, commissioned them yet. Um, but in, I mean, I live in an area where people don't have driveways and, or the majority mm-hmm. of people don't have driveways. And I'll tell you, I could drive 
Well, within a two-minute walk of my house, I can probably see about 30 either electric or hybrid cars, um, and there's going to be four charging points. So, uh, you know, and, and it's not like going to a car park and leaving after two hours. If you take your car home at night and park on the street and plug it in, you you know, you leave it there for the night. So, uh, you know, I, I would guess probably a very single figure percentage of the cars would be able to actually use that charging point. So, you know, yeah, it, is a, yeah. it is a big issue. It is a big issue. Well, there was three installed outside their office on the, on the, on the road um, yeah. about two years ago. Now, the same three cars are charging in there every single day, Monday to Friday. And they're there all day. And they're there all day, the same three cars. Um, yeah. And and that's we're we're looking at our kind of pool cars at the moment and saying how how do we change these to electric? Yes, in Newton Terrace we're we're luckily we own our building so we might be able to put our own in and, and have some charging points in there. But our Edinburgh office is a different story. It's it's it doesn't have any uh, private parking. It's all on street parking and the nearest charging point I think is over a mile away. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's how do you convince how how do you sell that to staff? Well, we'll give we'll give you the electric car, but you need to park it over a mile and a half away. And, and at five o'clock during the height of winter when it's snowing, you need to maybe walk over that mile and a half to go. And, you know, there's a whole range of problems as, as, yeah. as employers that, that come into that. But yeah, it, it's it's very exciting. It's hard. I think there's hard and times ahead, but I, I think it's fact is we we can only support and drive that change. But I think. Homeowners' hands are tied, and mm-hmm. our hands are tied through a lack of support, leadership, and structure. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Okay, so so um, you'll be glad to know that the that my questions are over for you, but Jax is the one that gets to ask three quirky questions at the end of every podcast. So, Jax, if you're uh, if you've not got anything to add to our chat about electric cars and things like that, then fire on into your question. Um, so, yeah, um, David, at the end of the, the podcast, we ask our guests the same three quirky questions. Um, so the first one of those is, what's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? Uh, <laughs> I've been listening to the other ones. It's always it's, it's a difficult question. And as others have said, without sounding cheesy, you know, and you, having gone through a few business things and listened to podcasts, you know, failure is a, a horrible word. Um, you know, I'm not sure anyone does anything with the intention of failure. Might make a mistake and, and learn from it, but I, I would hate to class them as failure. Um, but I suppose the biggest one for me is trying to run without understanding what I was in. Um, or, or, the, or the detail of, of the industry I was in. In my late teens, early 20s, I worked for a, a local estate agency, letting agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the owner was retiring, uh, I, I convinced them that I could take on both sides of that business, um, which which I did. And having only worked in the letting side of it and, and not having really paid much attention to the, to the estate agency side, um, it wasn't successful. Um, and, and when I say it wasn't successful, it didn't grow. It just meandered on, and um, it got time-consuming. And, and I was finding myself in positions that I didn't really know what I was talking about. And I quickly became isolated. And and, and from there, I, I I took the decision that that enough was enough, and it, and it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the 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 mistake I made there, I think, was I didn't understand the detail. I lived on a perception that it would be easy 
Okay. Um, and I would find my way in how to do it. Um, but when I crunched the numbers, it wasn't. And I don't think I was prepared for that. Yeah. Um, and I go back to, um, I remember hearing a quote from a, a UFC fighter of all people, Conor McGregor, who uh, said, precision beats power, timing beats speed. Um, and I, th I think that fits across a wide number of disciplines, and especially in business. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are, how much backing you have and, and how well you can put yourself across. If, if you're not precise with your actions, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your audience, someone else will, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and they'll, they'll do it better than you. Um, and then, again, going back to some of the other cast, the theme of increased communication. I think that's another area that that, that quote comes into, and it's um, it's not always being about being the fastest, you know, given the quickest response. You know, to me, that approach kind of tends to result in the wrong answer being given and people getting more frustrated. To me, it's all about timing. It's, you know, it's delaying a response to give you more time to reflect or it's all about relationship building. Um, I love working with people um, and I learned that to be able to put them together, you need to do your research. You need to know your numbers. Um, you can be passionate, driven and bold, but if you don't fully understand what you're in, you don't have a passion for what you're doing and what your customer wants, it, it won't work. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we lost you for a few seconds there, David, but um, yeah, I, I, I got that. Um, I get what you're saying. Um, interestingly, the something I've read lately about failure is that if you aren't first, I think it might actually be Brené Brown. I don't know if you've heard of Brené Brown. Um, she's a vulnerability and shame researcher. Um, she's got a Netflix a TED Talk on Netflix and stuff, and she's written some quite a few books about the power of vulnerability and that sort of thing. I think it was her that said that if you aren't failing, then you aren't trying. Because um, if you aren't failing, then you aren't even, you're probably not doing anything. So, um, which is a yeah. different spin on, on failure. Well, um, well, 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 as if you look at, if you, if you look at uh, a sporting, if you look at Tiger Woods, um, the, 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 undoubtedly probably the most successful golfer in history. Mm -hmm. Um he only won 24% of the tournaments he played in. Right, well. So, in effect, um, he, he did not win or failed to win <laughs> yeah. you know, a huge percentage of his tournaments. Mm -hmm. But he's the most, you know, and that's, I think that's, and it's Michael Jordan, you know, how many baskets didn't he sink compared to how many he did? Yeah. You know, if you look at it in a negative approach, I think that's where you're. Um, I think you've got to take the, the small positives and, 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 and lead from them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So the next question is, if you ruled the world for a day, David, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for all the things that I could probably say in this, um, and, and I probably touched on it earlier, um, is, is blame culture. I think I would try and bring all, bring all of the leaders of the, the world, whether that's businesses, countries, cities, politicians, religion, and, and try and make a pact banning the blame culture that I think the world has. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of the world's problems could be helped if people looked for solutions yeah. before before trying to apportion blame. And, and that's in everything, you know. I've got a, a six-year-old boy and, uh, you know, as parents, you know, if you walked into your, your room and found a, a bowl of cereal poured over the carpet, you know, the first reaction is to run around the house finding out who did it and trying to chastise them. 
rather than actually just cleaning up the carpet and stopping it being stained. You know, yeah. a very simple analogy, but it ultimately leads to people getting shouted at, maybe blaming the wrong person. And, and But what's left is a, a stain and that's a reminder of, of, of what we did wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we approach that differently, and, and our first step was to, to find the solution, to clean up the mess, you, you know, our initial fight reaction would be dissipated and, and we would probably calmly identify a way to stop it happening again. Yeah. And, and I think that scenario, if you look across the world, the same story repeats and repeats, you know, mm-hmm. how many wars have started through blame rea- in reaction that could have a solution. And, you know, you look in this country alone and you look at drug death, poverty, inequality. It's all about one, at the moment, from my perception, it's all about one side trying to put the other side down, you know, to, yeah. to curry favour or to, to win an argument. But they're really trying to find a solution. Yeah. Know? And I don't think they're looking for it. So I think if for trying to solve things like pro- poverty and stuff, we need to look at the solution rather than than trying to blame. Um, and that, uh, in the context of what I, I do, I think the world of factoring is quite similar to that. You know, there's there's almost a blame culture in t- in terms of people collaborating to find a solution. So I think if you know, I think if we remove the blame culture and replace it with a culture of solution finding. I think that would that would be good. Very hard to do. I think you'd need to have some substantial power to rule the world and get people to do that. But yeah, I think that would be be make a big difference. Yeah, that sounds good. Solutions are always always better. It, it does always seem like we're always presented with the problems, um, and yeah. no one seems to be wanting to to find solutions. Um, yeah, I agree with that absolutely. Um, so the final question then, David, is when you are seventy and many years to come and you look back at your life what will you be glad you did or feel proud of either it can be something you've already done or something that you want to do in the future uh, I'm probably going to keep this one simple um, I think I would just like to be able to sit back and think that I've I've made a difference to someone's life mm-hmm. you know it could be one person it could be a, a hundred people um, I was um, for my sins I was watching Evan Almighty at the weekend with my <laughs> my, my, my boy and um, at the end of the film, when, when Morgan Freeman, who, who plays God, reminds Steve Carell of, of how, how you change the world. And that was by trying to do random acts of kindness throughout, throughout your life. Um, and it took me back to uh, my dad, who sadly passed away about six years ago, and, and when I was asked to write his eulogy. And I looked at my dad's life, and, and he didn't do anything exceptional in terms of business and stuff, but what he did do was make a load of small differences to people's life, whether it was helping them with work in their house or helping them with advice. And and I think if I can sit back when I'm 70 and say, do you know what, I've helped some people um, and I've made a difference to, to some people by uh, living my life in a way that every now and then when I can to do some regular acts of random kindness, I think I think that's... I'd be happy with that. I think everything else around you is, is what it will be. You know, I think success is found in many different areas. You may be successful in business, successful in family, successful elsewhere. But to me, that would be it. It would be just that I can sit back and comfortably say that, yes, I made I made a difference to at least one person's life. Oh, that's nice. Good. Cool. Thank you. That's me done. Ryan, back over to you. 
Thanks very much. They were they were excellent answers. Yeah, I was that that was that was great. It was great listening to listening to it. And to be fair, it's it's a I mean I've known you for for a number of years since we sort of obviously CPL started dealing with Hacker and Patterson. But I you know it's funny, I don't I don't didn't know that about the early part of your career. So um, you know, you meet people in life and you just you you kind of you know them from that point on and, and actually doing the podcast has been really interesting because I've found out a lot about people who have, um, you know, what people, what people have done in the past has been really good. Anyway, thanks very much for coming on, David. It's been um, great to have you on and um, yeah, I will, we'll get a game of golf in the, when, it, when, when the spring. The weather's better. No, thanks a lot. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And um, I certainly thoroughly enjoyed listening to the, the previous podcast you've done, I think it's, uh, it's, it's as you say, it's good good to to get an insight and and to feel others that are are sharing views in, in many different ways. So it's, it's been really interesting. Good, excellent. Thanks for that. Um, it's been great to have David on. And if anyone wants to get in touch with him, you can find him on LinkedIn. He's pretty active on there, actually. So uh, again, great to have you on, David. Thanks.